electronic device you can uh, turn it on to Luke chapter 5 this morning. As we are just in the third part of our series of Follow Me and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, and as always, I like to tell people, if you missed uh, the, the first two parts, that's okay. You can go to iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast catcher is and you can find them there. Just search for Westlake Baptist Church. Uh, but again, so thankful for the Smith Mount Lake Christian Academy Choir being here this morning. Uh, just a phenomenal job, right? Phenomenal job. Well, let me ask this question. How many of you here remember the movie, The Karate Kid, the original? Okay, you know what? I am supremely shocked that the majority of the choir just raised their hand. Uh, I, I thought I was dating myself a little bit. But, uh, all right, so how many of you remember Mr. Miyagi? All right. You know, Daniel came to Mr. Miyagi wanting to learn karate. The problem was Mr. Miyagi had a, a unique style of teaching. How many of you remember wax on, wax off, and up and down? You remember how Daniel felt? Man, he was getting frustrated, wasn't he? He was like, I came to learn karate, not paint your fence and wax your car. What Daniel didn't realize was this. The whole time he was doing all of that, Mr. Miyagi was actually teaching him karate. You know, in the same way, so often, God is working in us and through us in ways that maybe we don't understand. You know, he, he's training us for that kingdom life that he has called us to. You know, we, we long for the day when we are face to face and we bow on our knees in praise and worship of Jesus Christ. But we don't want to forget that church, we got a job to do now. You know, there are so many people here in Franklin County, Bedford County, Virginia, America, and around the world who have never heard the name of Jesus. You know, the fact of the matter is there are two billion people that have never heard the gospel you know, and what Paul said there in 1 Corinthians 15 is, I speak this to your shame because there are some who don't, they've never heard the name of Jesus. Church, if we don't go, if we don't share the gospel everywhere we go, guess what? The gospel's not going to be heard. And the gospel needs to be heard. So what does this look like for you and I? Well, the one big thing this morning, and I always like to start with this, if you don't get anything else this morning, I want you to walk away with this. That being a disciple of Jesus means using and enjoying your life for a kingdom purpose. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, we're going to study it together. Luke chapter 5. I'm going to begin in verse 1, and I'm going to ask if you're able, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's Word together? We're going to go through the first 11 verses. The Word of God says this, And it came to pass... That as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. It's just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught or a catch. And Simon answering said unto him, Master... We have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fish, and their nets break. 
And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. This is a reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for who you are. And God, as we open up your word, may we humbly approach you, yet confidently knowing that your spirit desires to speak to each and every person in a way that we can hear, that we can be drawn closer in love and fellowship with you. And so, God, we ask that you would <coughs> excuse me, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So again, our one big thing this morning is this, that being a disciple means using and enjoying your life for a kingdom purpose. Uh, this is our sermon series running all the way up to Palm Sunday. <coughs> I'm going to try not to do that all night or day, whatever time it is. It's all about what does it mean to be a disciple? Because it's important that you and I understand what God is calling us to. And so there's a few things that we see in our text that, that it means being a disciple. The first one is this. Being a disciple means being obedient. You know, Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, he asked this question. Why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I've said? You know, I mean, the reality is anybody can say I love Jesus. But our proof of the love of Jesus is seen in our obedience to him. And we're going to see Jesus give really a twofold invitation to Peter in our text. The first one begins here right in verse 3. And Jesus, he's teaching a whole multitude. Okay, He entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed to them. He thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people out of the boat. Now, that sounds a little odd to us. Uh, why in the world would he get in a boat just to go out? Um, well, see, in those days, they didn't have Bose speakers. They didn't have Shure microphones. And so Jesus would get in a boat. He would go out on the land because there's a great natural amplification system. So he's, he wants to make sure his voice is going to carry so everybody can hear. And, and so the first part of the invitation to Simon is this. Simon, I want you to let me in your boat, and then we're going to push out on the land just a little bit. Now, that, that's not a real hard thing to do, is it? Just push out, get in the water. And, and we see, but the reality would have been this. If Simon Peter had not thrust out into the water just a little bit, he would have missed the second part of the invitation, the more important part. And, and even more so, he would have missed what God was going to do. What's that second invitation? Well, it's right there in uh, verse 4. Now, when he had left speaking, so Jesus has ended his teaching. The, the amazing thing is we don't know what he taught that day. He said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. You see, had Simon not pushed out from the land a little bit, he couldn't have launched out into the deep. 
And, and this is important for you and I because sometimes God is going to ask us to do things that just don't make a whole lot of sense to us. And, and we're going to come back in and we want to talk about this uh, a lot more. But we want to be obedient to what Jesus said. I mean, proof of my love for Jesus isn't the fact that I'm a pastor. It's not, the, it's not seen by but anything other than my obedience to his word. And so often, I just kind of wonder, how many of us here, how often have our churches missed God moving in a mighty way because we hesitated in our obedience? We felt like God was saying something to us and we prayed about it. We went to the word of God and said, okay, it's not sinful. We trusted our safety uh, and the multitude of counselors. And we're like, okay, yeah, this is what God is asking me to do. Man, I'm just not sure. And we hesitate. How often have we missed God just moving in a miraculous way in our life because we didn't trust him enough to obey him? even though it didn't make sense. Which is really where I want to go next in, is where the text takes us. Being a disciple is a call into the unknown. All right, how many people here are puzzle workers? Anybody like puzzles? All right, I got a few of you. I love puzzles. <coughs> when Diane and I first got married, uh, we were like most young married couples. We had a lot of love and a little money. Which was great because the love was going to get us through. And we watched God do so many amazing things. And so we didn't have cable. Uh, we, we didn't... Netflix, I'm going to really date myself right now. Netflix had not been invented yet. No Hulu, no Prime, no nothing. Um, so that basically meant um, you watched movies uh, primarily on VHS. Oh, they have no clue what I'm talking about right here. Like there's a whole side of the room, no clue. Uh, but no, we could watch DVDs. But what we would do is we would sit there and we would work puzzles all the time that we were together. And it was great. We loved life. So if you're working a puzzle, what's the first thing you do? You build the frame, right? Why? Because as long as I've got the frame built, every other piece in that box is going to fit within that frame. You know, we often try to put Jesus in that same type of box. We, we like him to outline everything he's going to do, everything he's going to say, <coughs> excuse me, so that if it doesn't fit in that box, guess what? Oh, it's not from God. You know what I've learned in 12 years of ministry and almost 40 years of being on this earth? God doesn't give corner pieces first. God doesn't even often give you edge pieces. You know what he does? He plops a piece right down in the middle. Why? why? Why did he ask Peter to launch out into the deep? Because it's in the deep where we learn to trust Jesus and experience him more. And he does things through us that we can't take any credit or glory for. We have to give it all to him. And, and so why does Jesus give us a centerpiece? Because he wants us to give him all the praise and all the glory. He wants us to trust him in everything we do. And this is what he's doing with Peter here in the very beginning. But you know, it's not the only time that Jesus ever did that. You go all the way back in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12. How many of you have ever heard of a man named Abraham? All right. 
What was God's first words to Abraham? Get out of your father's house, out of his land, to a land I will show you. Now, he did go on and say, and I'm going to bless you and, and multiply your seed, and all the families in the earth are going to be blessed. But the first words God ever spoke to Abraham were this. Get out of your father's house, out of his land, to a land I'm going to show you. Like, it doesn't get more centerpiece of the puzzle than that. Abraham had no idea where God was going to take him. He had an idea of what God was going to do, but he didn't know when God was going to do it. Church, this is why four times in Scripture we read that the just shall live by faith. And that we walk by faith and not by sight. You see, you can't go with God and remain where you are. And so you're going to have to thrust out into the deep and you're going to have to trust God even if you can't see what he's doing. Even if it doesn't make sense. And in those times that you cannot see the hand of God, we can trust the character of God. See, I may not know what God is going to do in my life or in my family's life or you know, within the church, but I know who God is. He is good. He is holy. He is loving. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is just. And so even if I can't make sense of what God's doing in my life right now, I can trust Him. And at the end of the day, you know what? I don't need to know where all the steps are going to lead me. Because they're going to lead me closer to Him. And that's the goal. See, the end goal isn't to build a big church or build a big ministry. The end goal is always to love and worship and adore Jesus. And so whatever it takes... For me to respond to God, to adore Him and worship Him, and to grow closer to Him and make Him known, that's what I want. That's what we're called to do. That's what it means to be a, a disciple. And so, that means something for us. And it means this. We have to stop treasuring safety over growth. You know, there's another story later on in the ministry where Jesus is walking on the water. Okay, he's just fed 5,000 men, so about a crowd of 10 to 15,000 uh, when you include women and children. Been a, a miraculous thing. Jesus tells the disciples, I want you to get in the boat. I want you to go to the other side. And he goes up on the mountain and prays. In the middle of the night, all right, Scripture says the fourth watch. It's between 3 and 6 a.m., prime sleeping time for most of us. 3 to 6 a.m., here comes Jesus walking on the water. At first, they are, are just flipping out. They're going, oh, it's a ghost. And all of a sudden, they hear this, these words, peace, be still. All right, Jesus, Jesus just says, peace. Peter recognizes that voice. And he goes, Jesus, because that's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Like, I mean, we always make fun of Peter, right? He, he's the apostle with the foot in his mouth. This is one time that, like, Peter got it right. Because there were how many disciples? Twelve. How many people got out of the boat and started walking on the water to Jesus? One. Why did Peter get out of the boat? I mean, he was a fisherman. What happens if you and I get out of the boat in the middle of Smith Mountain Lake? You better be able to swim. <coughs> but Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking to Jesus. What were the other eleven doing? They were treasuring safety over growth. 
They're a lot like a lot of us. Oh, Lord, I want to be used by you. But I don't want to do that. Hey, God, I can do this for you. You want me to do this? You know what God says? Nope. I want to do something you're uncomfortable doing. See, this is really the story of my life. I was a ball player. I had some form of ball in my hand as long as I can ever remember. My life was planned out in my mind by the time I was five years old. I was going to be a professional baseball player. God had given me some talent. He allowed me to work hard. He gave me great coaches who would push me and all of these things. And life seemed to be on track. And until one day, life went off the tracks. Anybody ever had God do that to you? Why? Why did God, I mean, it was a good plan. Why did God change that plan? Because he had a better plan for me. Because he knew I would not be able to bring honor and glory to him as a ball player. Not, not that athletics are bad. Like I see several of the guys, I get the joy of coaching on the baseball team. Uh, you guys are awesome. But, but because baseball is all about me. It wasn't about him. And God said, I got a bigger plan for your life. And so I'm going to interrupt your life. And because he's God, he can do that anytime he wants. And he put me on a path to ministry. Now, I want to see if you guys do everything that my family and my church family does when I say this next statement. Being in ministry is launching out into the deep for me because I am a shy person. I am. I got to tell you, every Sunday when I step onto this platform, my knees are knocking so loud I almost want to answer them. I'm not a public speaker. I am shy. I am socially awkward. I am backwards. If you put me in a stressful situation, I'm probably going to say something that is going to embarrass my wife. That's why I know there's hope for our middle son, Noah, uh, because he is his father's child. But God called me to the unknown. But I look at my life and I can't imagine anything different. I can't imagine a more blessed place to be. Because I know, I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. And this is what God is trying to call us to do. See, God's not going to tell you how this journey is going to end. Because you don't need to know how it's going to end. You just need to know that He is good, He is sovereign, and He is going to take you where you ought to be. This is what it means to be a disciple. It means to boldly trust Him even when it doesn't make sense. Fact of the matter, people come to me uh, during the weekend, they go, uh, Pastor, how do I know if this is really what God is calling me to do? Here's the first question I always ask them. Does it make complete sense to you? Because if it makes complete sense to you, it's probably not from God. Because it's called to go into the unknown. Here's the third thing that being a disciple means according to this text. It means knowing who Jesus is or recognizing who Jesus is. There's a subtle shift that happens in this text. And so often we overlook it. All right, still there in verse 5. 
And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the nets. All right. So if anybody knew the Sea of Galilee, it would have been Peter, right? He was a fisherman. So here comes this rabbi, gets in the boat, says, launch out into the water a little bit. And then he says, launch out into the deep and lower your nets. Now, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to Peter for this reason. As an experienced fisherman, Peter knew to catch fish, you went in shallow water in night. If you want to catch fish in the Sea of Galilee, you're in shallow water at night. Jesus, on the other hand, is saying, go out into the deep during the day. And notice what he says. He calls him master, overseer. It's a lot like you would address your boss. All right? Uh, Academy kids, you don't get this just yet. Trust me, you will. Okay? When your boss says, I want you to do this, there's a simple two-word answer. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. That's really what Peter's going Peter is showing politeness. He's showing respect to a rabbi. In Jesus, he says, okay, sir. And so he he launches out. And then all of a sudden, check there in verse 8. So they get this big catch of fish. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Here it is. Oh, Lord. See, Lord is a messianic title. For the first time, Peter understands that Jesus is from God. Now, he's not fully in the relationship yet, but he's starting to get a glimpse of who Jesus is. He's going, there's something about this man that I need to give my life to. You know, we we often talk about that Jesus is Lord. To say that Jesus is Lord is not only saying he is Savior, but it also means that he is master of all things. The theological term is this, that Jesus is sovereign, which means he is in control of all things at all times. All right, that ought to give us a lot of reason to celebrate. Can you imagine if we were in control? The weather would be more crazy than it already is. But for, G- for Peter to go, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, oh Lord, is Peter going I need to submit my life to you. I need to give full control to you. And so I would ask this question. Have you given every part of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? See, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says this. What, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. See, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ means you hand full control of your life to Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you're married, have you given your marriage completely full control over to Jesus? You got kids living at home. Have you given them back to God? The job that you're going to go to tomorrow, have you given full control of that to God? Yo, know, a lot of us, we're going to spend a lot of time at ball fields over the next several years. Have you given that time to God? Have you given Him full control of your finances? See, Jesus doesn't want part of you. He doesn't want half of you. He died for all of you. 
The late Dr. Adrian Rogers would say it this way. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So we've got to give it all over to him. That's what it means to be a disciple. But then we see something else here in the text. And man, this is important for us. It's there in verse 10. Being a disciple means we have been commissioned. Look at what he says. And so it was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Jesus is calling Peter to radically reorganize his life around the mission of Jesus Christ. Now, did that mean that Peter was going to go into full-time ministry? No. It simply means that God was using everything in Peter's life up to this point to prepare him for the job that God was calling him to do. I want you to understand whether you're going to work tomorrow or you're going to school Tuesday. I almost struck fear and said tomorrow. Um, going to school Tuesday. I want, I want us to learn this. We need to see every day, every opportunity as a chance to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. To show his love, his heart to people around us. That whether you're going to work tomorrow, guess what? That's your mission field. All right, God has sovereignly placed you where you are because there are people who need to know about him. And so see your life not about climbing the corporate ladder, not about getting a paycheck, but about exalting Jesus Christ and showing him to other people. If you're going to go out to eat right after service, guess what? That is a mission field. Love on your servers. Show them the love of Christ. When they come and they take your drink order and they bring you your drinks, do, do them a favor. It will blow them away. Hey, we're about to pray. How can we pray for you? We, we, we tried at one time when we did a, a midweek Bible study down at Bojangles. And I got to tell you, there's a young lady who works there That every Wednesday morning, she comes over to our little group of eight people and just starts talking to us and just saying, thank you for praying for us. Hey, what are you guys studying today? And we always have questions and we leave them for. That's not about us. That's about God. Guess what? The pastor didn't do it. That was somebody else who said, hey, let's step up. Let's be a light to the people. Some of you are going to go to ball fields this week. That's a mission field. All right? You're not there to, to watch little Johnny or Susie score the winning goal or get the game-winning hit or, or any of that. Listen, you are there to glorify Jesus Christ by making him known. We've got to understand that God has sent us. That out of everything Jesus said in three and a half years, there's only one thing he commissioned us as the church to do. What is it? Make disciples. That's it. Jesus never said, build your ministry. Jesus never said, build your church. Jesus never said, go, go do this, that. He said, be a disciple who makes disciples. That's it. You know, we, we make Christianity way too hard. It's about loving Jesus, knowing him, and making him known. It's about drawing closer to him and then revealing him to other people. But we have been sick. And we've got to live that sent life.
Because there are so many people who if this was their last moment on earth, their eternity would look vastly different than a lot of ours. You see, if I was to ask a question, how many of you when you die want to go to heaven? I guarantee you 100%. And here's the thing. By our belief in a literal heaven, it necessitates a belief in a literal hell. It does. And so the reality is if there's only one way that a person can be saved, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ based on grace and faith and not of our works, if that's the only way a person can go to heaven, and we have been called and commissioned by God to share that with the world, then we got to get busy doing it. Because if we don't, who's going to? Is the Democrat Party going to share the gospel? Is the Republican Party going to share the gospel? Or are the Virginia Cavaliers going to share the gospel? Are the Virginia Tech Hokies going to share the gospel? What about the Chicago Cubs? I'm not even dealing with Cincinnati Reds. Love you. I mean, we, we keep praying for change and, and all of these things. And, and we get wrapped up in politics and all of these things. Church, I'm not saying ignore politics. What I'm saying is let's make much of Jesus. Let's live our life for him. Because when I live for Jesus, guess what? He's going to influence my politics. He's going to influence how I spend my days. He's going to, he's going to change how I live my life. And so I've got to understand that my number one job, not as a pastor, not as a husband or father, my number one job as a disciple of Jesus Christ is this, to know him and make him know. That when people gather at my funeral, I don't want them to say anything about me other than this. He loved Jesus and he shared it with everybody he met. If you do that, I don't care what the world says, you're successful. That's what this is about. That is what it means to live this sent life. But how do we apply? Just really quickly, I want to give you a couple things that you can take away. The first thing I would say is going to be this. It's going to require radical obedience. Jesus doesn't use part-time disciples. You can't live for Jesus on Sunday and then live for the devil every other day. It doesn't work. Okay? You've got to be sold out for him. My greatest concern right now with our nation is this that we have made Jesus another option on the menu along with everything else that's competing for our time I'm not even talking about false religions okay I'm talking about the fact that that so often we're like well I'll go to church if I don't have this to do I'll read my Bible if I got time, I'll pray if I got time. I, I'll do, you know, I'll go serve at the church if I have time. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be hard on you, okay? Trust me, the, the struggle is real. We get caught up in doing a lot of good things, but what we need to do is the God thing. Which means this. I need to allow Jesus to set my agenda for every single day.
And if there comes a time constraint where it's I'm either going to serve Jesus or I'm going to do something else, guess what? Something else gets bumped 100% of the time. It's never an option. This is what it means to obey him. The world's going to look at you like you're crazy. They're they're not going to understand why you love Jesus so much. They're going to go, come on, just go to the movies. Come on, let's go to that concert. Let's go to that ball game. Let's do this and, and all of that. And when you go, you know what, man, I would love to do that. It's a good thing. But God's got something else I need to be doing, so I'll catch you next time. It will change your life. And it will change the lives of those around you. Because God's going to use you to make much of the gospel. Okay, if that's one thing I could say to the younger me, it would be this. Don't get caught up in all the things that the world's going to throw at you. Decide in your life right now, while it's crazy but not overcrowded, to know Jesus. And to make him known. And then you won't fight a lot of the fights that your parents and grandparents are fighting. Not only does it require radical obedience, but the last thing is this. It's a lifelong process. All right, look there. Into verse 10. Jesus says, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. That word, henceforth, from now on, this is what you're going to do. How many, by show of hands, how many of you here are a perfect Christian? You got it all right 100% of the time. Cool, I'm with family. Okay. How many of you can say, I'm not what I should be, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be? Every day. My, my favorite verse, life verse, Philippians 1, 6. Being confident in the very thing, that he that has begun a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. You know, the reality is we have scars. We have warts. All right, we're not perfect. It is a lifelong process of growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And every day, I want to encourage you, get in Scripture to know something else about Jesus. And then what God gives you, go and share it with somebody else. There are, two, there, there are several major bodies of water listed in Scripture, but two in particular. There's one called the Dead Sea. How many of you have ever heard of the Dead Sea? All right, Dead Sea has a high salt content, okay? It's uninhabitable. Why? Because water flows in, but it doesn't flow out, okay? God did not create you to be a spiritual grace reservoir. He created you to be a spiritual aqueduct, like the Sea of Galilee. See, the Sea of Galilee has water coming in from the north, and it flows out. From the south. It's life giving. See what God gives to you. What God shows you. Isn't just for you. It's for others around you. And so as you get alone every day. And you're reading in scripture. And you're learning who Jesus is. Pray and just go. Lord who can I share this great truth with today. Who can I bless. Who can I pray for. Who can I represent you to. If we give our whole lives to the service of Christ, the world may not think much of us, 
But we know what Jesus will say when we see him face to face. Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. Is there any greater words we could ever hear than Jesus saying, well done? Church, I'm going to tell you, it's not easy. Fact of the matter is, it's impossible apart from the Spirit of Christ. The last thing I want to say is verse 11. When they have brought their ships to land, they forsook all. And they followed him. You have to decide this morning, is Jesus worth me giving him everything? I can't make that decision for you. Your parents can't make that decision for you. Your school can't make that decision for you. If you want to be used by God, you've got to give it all to him. That day, James, Peter, and John, they left everything, the comfort of their life, their livelihood. Many in their families would have turned their back on them because of this radical rabbi who over the next three years was going to turn the religious world upside down. But they decided that Jesus is worth it. So that's my question to you. Is Jesus worth it to you? One of my favorite hymns, we we sing it pretty regularly here, is Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. I I want to share. And that lifelong process is going to be hills and there are going to be valleys. I understood the tears that, that Jessica was crying when she was talking about you guys as a choir. Because anytime you invest yourself in other people, Scripture says to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This lifelong process isn't always going to be easy, but it's always going to be worth it. I assure you of this. You will never give up something for Jesus that is more valuable than Jesus is. That's what it means to be a disciple. It means to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It means to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. My question to you this morning is simply this. Would Jesus say you're his disciple? I'm not asking if you're a Christian. That's a whole other ball game. I'm asking are you a disciple? Are you walking in obedience to him? Are you walking, striving to glorify him and to share him with everybody? If you are, I want to encourage you to praise him because it's by your grace you're saved. If you're not, that's why God brought you here. See, I believe in a sovereign God who brings everybody to a service for a particular purpose. Maybe there's something in your life that you haven't given Jesus full control over. I want to encourage you in a few moments that the choir's going to sing for us again. They're going to lead us actually in a congregational song. And we're just going to open this altar. And we're going to say, you know what, pour out your heart and your, your life to Christ. If there's something that's on your mind, something you're worried about, something you're concerned about, give it to Him. If you know right now that you've never surrendered to the grace of God, I'm going to encourage you, come do that. You don't have to be the perfect Christian. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all together. Scripture says you've got to admit that you've been going your way instead of God's way. Believe that Jesus died in your place. 
that on the third day he rose from the dead. We do that. Christ forgives all of our sins, past, present, and future. He gives us a new heart and a new life. And he gives us a new purpose. So whatever step we need to take, let's really worship. See, worship is a verb. It's not just singing songs. It's not just hearing the word of God. Worship is when I respond to what God has said to me. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Father, in the quietness of this moment, in the holiness of your presence, God, we just want to thank you. Lord, you have lavished your grace and your love on us, and we are so unworthy. Father, I stand before you as the Apostle Paul said, the chief of sinners. There's no reason that you should have loved me or loved any of us. There's no reason that you should have gone to that cross. To die on that cross to be the payment for all of our sins. But the reason was you loved us. And you shared and showed your grace. And so when we glory, when we praise, we will glory and praise only in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because that cross took a lost sinner and redeemed them. And now you call us a son or daughter, a child of the Most High God. Everything that you have given Christ, you have given us as co-heirs. Lord, this is a truth that is just too glorious for us to comprehend. But we thank you for it. God, I know that not everyone can call you Father because your word says only those who have turned from their sin and turned in faith to Jesus and that sacrifice have been forgiven and are your children. So Lord, I pray for those here this morning who may not have made that decision. God, I pray that they have heard through song and through your word the love and the grace that is available in Jesus Christ. And that even now from their heart, they are crying out to you as Peter did. Oh, Lord. Instead of saying, depart from me, they're saying, Lord, save me. And God, we know that you will. And we praise you for that. But Father, for many disciples here, life is, life is difficult. There's death. There's suffering. There's hardships. There's friendships that get affected. There are co-worker relationships that sometimes go haywire. There are bad days. But Father, we praise you that you're the Lord of all days. And so I pray for that heart that's hurting right now. That heart that's going, God, I want to love you. I want to obey you, but I just don't know how. I don't know how I can take that next step. Father, just help them take that next step to cry out to you. To surrender it to you. Father, if there's anything we haven't given you control of, our marriage, 
our hearts, our families, our jobs, our hobbies, our finances, whatever it is. God, I pray that this morning we would surrender them to you. Because you are worthy of everything we've got. Because everything we have is, is from you. And so, God, we sing this song to you. I give you my heart. I give you my life. So, Lord, help us just to simply respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to come, you can come and pray here. I'm more than happy to pray with you. Uh, there'll be Pastor Harry. He'll be on the other side. He'll pray with you as well. Let's just respond in worship and obedience to Christ.